Welcome into the Big Boy Sports Corner. My name is Nick Winstead, and I'm joined by... Randall Davis. Randall, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. Excited to talk a little NFL football. Um, got a around the corner coming back this week, which excited about that. and uh, Really excited about our Power 5 today. I think it's going to be our, our funnest one yet with uh, our, our Power 5. So, I'm um, excited about that. So, this week on the Corner, we'll recap... The divisional weekend. We'll talk a little college basketball. We've got a super. We're super excited about a interview we're going to have on around the corner, uh, and we'll also have our weekly segments, the Power Five, and our Big Boys Corner picks. So let's get rolling. Moving right into our divisional round recap. Uh, good good weekend of football. We had uh, four games on this weekend, um, setting up for the AFC and NFC Championship weekend. Um, we started off on Saturday with Kansas City at Jacksonville. That yeah, was a game we talked about last week that we knew, you know, Jacksonville had a lot of momentum coming into the game. Trevor Lawrence had been playing well. They'd won something like eight or nine straight games. Yeah. Um, but knew they, they were going to run into a buzzsaw that was Kansas City. You know, Kansas City had a um, some time off, um, had the bye, so you, you never know how a team is going to play coming out of that. And then the big story in that game was Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. You know, high ankle sprain, goes out for a while. Uh, Michigan's finest, Chad Henney, comes in, uh, throws a touchdown, plays well while he's in there and Mahomes comes back after the half. But, man, he just didn't look look like he was real comfortable, you know. And, and um, those high ankle sprains can be tricky. But the Chiefs pulled out the win 27-20, uh, squeaked by there. Jags' momentum ran out. What did you see in that game, Nick? Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> being 27-20 for Jacksonville, who, you know, last year with all the debacles with Urban Meyer – Year before goes one and fifteen, uh, drafts Trevor Lawrence. For them to have the the turnaround they did this year to go nine and eight in the regular season, uh, have that miracle comeback against the Chargers in the wild card round, and to go into uh, to go into Kansas City and and to to lose, but you know lose twenty seven to twenty. Um, you never want to talk about a respectable loss or a a feel-good loss or whatever. But but to go in and compete against a team that's been now in the AFC Championship championship game five years in a row, that's won a Super Bowl, that has a quarterback that's probably going to win the MVP, um, to talk about Jacksonville, you know, they, they came in and competed and, and had a good season. Um, Lawrence played decently, 24-39, 217 yards, one touchdown, did have the one pick. Um, ETN I think had like 65 yards rushing. They just didn't they didn't try to run the ball. And honest, you know, honestly, they were they were down a couple of scores most of the game. So you got to play catch up. So you're going to throw the ball 40 times. Um, but you know, came in, played well, especially considering what they've been the past couple of years. But like we said, the big story coming out of this game is Mahomes with a high ankle sprain. And high ankle sprains are nothing to nothing to mess with. They're not fun. They cost Cedric Tillman basically this entire season. You know, he played four or five games or whatever it was, but um, 
the the play that it happened on, you know, you go back and look, he gets his right ankle rolled up, which is pretty important for him. Either ankle is going to be important for him. That's a big part of his game is his mobility, his his rollouts, his scrambles, his taking off and running. Uh, but for his right foot as a quarterback, when he does set his feet, sometimes he, he makes a lot of off-balance throws. But when he does set his feet, you're, you're planting back on that right foot. Um, and you know, what did they give him at halftime? I, I don't know. Did they just tape it up real tight? Did they give him some kind of cortisone shot or whatever? I don't know. They're, he's going to make every effort possible to play in the game. Yeah, and I, I certainly think he's going to play. I think the issue becomes not just the planning on his back foot. He just – what Mahomes does so well is plays off schedule. And he, he gets out of the pocket and he makes those crazy, dazzling plays that we've seen him make. That's hard to do when you're on a bum ankle, right? Yeah. And talk about, you know, Cedric Tillman losing the year. Same thing happened to Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Now, Ryan Tannehill is no Patrick Mahomes – but, again, Ryan Tannehill relies on the mobility and being able to get out of the pocket, and he couldn't do that. And, and they did the tightrope surgery on him, trying to get him back, and it just didn't work. Mahomes is going to try to play, and I would be surprised if he doesn't. But going into that game with the Bengals, look at what they did with Josh Allen right. on, on Sunday, just the amount of pressure they put on him. and um, Can he withstand that? Can he be mobile enough? Or can he sit in the pocket and make throws from there? Um, that's going to be the question. One of the big things, and this is going to be a recurring theme in our divisional games, Chiefs win the turnover battle 2-0. to zero. Yeah, They recovered a fumble. Lawrence had a pick. You'll see as we continue to get into some more of these games that how big of a deal playing clean games can be towards a, a tight game. Now, like you said, they were up a couple scores. Mm-hmm. But, you know, final score is, is seven. Yeah, seven point win. Do do they have that? Do they have that if Lawrence doesn't throw a pick? If they don't fumble the football, you know that's two more opportunities for yeah. the Chiefs to go down and score. So, um, but Kansas City pulled it out. I think that's what most of us expected. Um, the the big storyline though is can Mahomes be healthy enough to to play against a really hot Cincinnati team Saturday night? We got Giants Eagles. We talked last week that we thought that was going to be an interesting game. You know, it, you, it was not. No, and, and, and you picked the Giants – or, I'm sorry, the Eagles, you know, said, oh, the Giants certainly could cover. I picked the Giants, thought they had a lot of momentum. Brian Dayball's done a good job. Daniel Jones has played well. 38-7. to seven. Yeah. In the NFL, that's just rarely heard of, especially, especially in, the in the divisional round yes. of the playoffs. Yes. But you look at some of the stats, Jalen Hurts, three total touchdowns, two two on two in the air, one on the ground. The Eagles ran for 268 yards. Again, yeah. that's that's big time when you get into the divisional round. Um, they won the turnover battle two to one. You know, Jalen Hurts played a clean game. They had a fumble, mm-hmm. but, but they turned over uh, New York twice. And then – Five sacks by Philadelphia. And obviously yeah. Philadelphia's defense is good. They've got some players, but they're also, you know, missing a few of those guys that have been you – know, Derek Barnett, who's been mm-hmm. pretty good for them. You know, obviously we talk about him a little bit more here just being a UT guy, but um, a, a presence for sure off the edge, but still for them to go get five sacks against the Giants. And the Giants were never in the game. 
there was no. never a point when you had this game on that you thought, oh, they, they got a chance to come back. The Eagles dominated, um, setting up a really, really intriguing mm-hmm. NFC Championship game. Yeah. I think that that's going to be the one to – I mean, really, I, I'm, I think both of these games are going to be really fun. Yeah. But, but I think Eagles, 49ers, you, you've got two um, kind of the battle of – the really good offense versus the really good defense. Who's going to prevail? Excited yeah. about that one. What did you see in that game that stuck out? You know, just talking about Philadelphia defensively, obviously when you hold any opponent in the NFL to seven points, that's impressive. When you hold an opponent that you've played three times now into the divisional round of the playoffs to seven points, that's super impressive. And they held New York to 227 total yards. So they rushed – for more yards than the Giants had, period. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, they sacked Daniel Jones five times. Philadelphia in the regular season had 70 sacks, 15 more sacks than the number two team, uh, 97 tackles for loss. You know, you have four guys that have um, four – or, excuse me, four guys that have 11 or more sacks for the Eagles. I mean, they're – they're hard to block up front. Uh, Reddick has 16 sacks. Hargrave, who's a defensive tackle, had 11 sacks, and then two of their defensive ends each had 11 sacks. So for for them to play that well defensively, you know that sets up a really, like you already mentioned, that sets up a really good, intriguing matchup with the 49ers, and that's been the. <clears throat> the dominant performance of the NFL playoffs so far. Here in a second, obviously, we're going to talk about Bengals, Bills. Bengals had a really good performance. But defensively, that's that's the best shutdown performance that we've seen so far. Can they continue to replicate that? We'll see. Um, but it didn't appear that Hurts had much rust, that the Eagles had much rust at all. They had the bye last week. Essentially, they had a two-week bye because that last week against the Giants, they played the majority of their backups. So, man, the Eagles the Eagles look really good uh, going forward. Yeah, definitely got it rolling. Then, then you get in over into Sunday and uh, Cincinnati and Buffalo game that we thought was going to be the game of the week. You know, of the four, um, obviously last the last matchup, what Bengals were up, Demar Hamlin situation, they didn't get to finish. Uh, so there was a lot of intrigue about what this game was going to look like, and the Bills were never in it. No, I, I mean Cincinnati wins twenty-seven to ten, and they just could not get anything going. Mm-hmm. Buffalo um, couldn't, you know, they didn't give up a ton of sacks. The Bengals only had one sack, but man, they had eight quarterback hurries. Yeah, were all over, you know, making Allen throw off his back foot and throw um, out of bounds, and and just a lot of things that. You know, Eli Apple played a relatively good game, which is, is saying a lot for him. Right. Um, but but some of the stats that I, I thought were, were interesting, again, Cincinnati wins the turnover battle 1-0. to zero. Yeah. So, you know, it's not 4-0, to zero, but still, that one turnover, mm-hmm. that gave them an extra possession. Joe Burrow had a 101.9 QB rating, threw for 242 yards, two touchdowns, no, no picks. Josh Allen, on the other hand, had a 68.1 quarterback rating. You know, we, we just talked, you know, Power 5 last week, top quarterbacks, and, and I certainly still believe that Josh Allen is up there. For sure. But this has not been his season. Uh, 
from a being clean, keeping, right. and, and this is a game where where you I think you've got to have that. Um, again, one sack for the Bengals, but eight quarterback hurries. Here's here's what I see. I think that the Bills are going to have to make some decisions this offseason about where they want to see their football team go. Yeah. Now, that may sound crazy. Look, they they in the divisional round two years in a row, but 2020, they make it to the AFC Championship game. And, and obviously, they lose to the Chiefs in 2020 there. But now you've got two years in a row where you don't get out of the divisional round and everyone thinks, hey, this is the team that's going to the AFC Championship. Yeah. And, you know, last year they lose to – Excuse me. They lose to the Chiefs in the divisional round in overtime, but you know this year struggled a little bit against Miami, yeah. and we thought we might see. Hey, that was our one game. We're getting that out of the way. But then they come in and, and only score ten against the Bengals. I think they've got to figure out what they want their identity to be. I think they were missing a Von Miller. You know, Von yeah. Miller certainly could have been a big help for them. Um, you know, Stephon Diggs was not happy after the game, left left the field really quickly, left the locker room. Um, I think that going forward they may need to look at, can we get a complimentary guy to Stephon Diggs? Yeah. And that's not that those other guys, Knox is a good tight end and Davis is a, is a pretty good little receiver, but I think they need a true number two. Yeah. When you go look at a Bengals who have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and throwing Hayden Hurst in there at tight end mm-hmm. and Joe Mixon and P. Ryan out of the backfield, you got to be able to compete with that. Yeah. And and right now I think teams can go into their games and say, ah, oh, we're going to shut down Stephon Diggs, beat us with anybody else. Right. And they don't have a big-time running back and they don't Correct. have they don't have a big-time number two. And Knox is good, but he's no Travis Kelsey, you mm-hmm. know. And so um, – Got to got to make some decisions. I, I still believe in what the Bills can be, um, but but I think it's going to be an interesting offseason for them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're a really good team. Um, got a an, an arguably top three quarterback in the NFL. Got a really good wide receiver. But like you said, what do they have beyond that? Uh, Devin Singletary, by no means, is a terrible running back, but he's not going to get you 130 yards a game. You know, they they rushed for 63 yards um, in the game against the Bengals. And, and now, obviously, part of that was they were coming from behind the entire game. They were down 14 to nothing in the first quarter. Uh, but Allen threw the ball 42 times. And in the NFL, unless you're throwing 42 times for 400-something yards, it's, it's not really a recipe to win. Uh, you want more of a balanced attack in the NFL, and they don't—they don't really have that right now. They don't have that Derrick Henry style running back, or that Miles Sanders running back, or that Christian McCaffrey, um, or even with um, Kansas City Pacheco. They don't have that kind of running back that they can—they can ride and and chew up some clock and 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 gain, you know, five six yards and and set up an easier second down. Uh, so, like you said, going forward, you know, what are they going to do in the offseason? I think they really missed an opportunity in the middle of the season this year to pick up McCaffrey. Uh, and obviously we see the benefits that San Francisco is reaping from having Christian McCaffrey. Uh, what could Christian McCaffrey have done with the Bills? Yeah, just because of what he can do out of the backfield. He He's not just a give me the ball 20 times a game, right. you know, rushing and, 
he, he does so much out of the backfield from a screen game and just simple check downs and then goes and makes a play. And they just don't have that. No. But but they were going to need to find it. I, I mean, I think they have got to – Josh Allen's unbelievable. But if you start having him throw it 35 or 40 times a game, he's going to continue to throw picks. Yeah. And they're going to continue to struggle to win the big games. And then Sunday night, we finished up with Dallas-San Francisco, a, a, a you know, old-school battle there. You know, they've played, I don't know, eight or nine times probably in the playoffs yeah. in the, the 80s, 90s. Um, and, and San Francisco pulled that one out 19-12. to 12. Wasn't a big scoring game. Um, for the fourth straight game out of the four, San Francisco, the winner, wins the turnover battle 2-1. to one. Yeah. Their one fumble was Ray Ray McLeod um, on special teams but picked off Dak Prescott twice. And, um, you know, Prescott threw two picks, less than 200 yards. And they all, and, and they held Dallas to 76 yards rushing. Yeah. That's a problem. And, mm-hmm. again, no different than the Bills. The, the, the Cowboys are going to have to look and say, what what is our identity going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, you're paying Zeke all this money, and Tony Pollard is a good running back, but – 76 yards with yeah. what's supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Um, and, look, that's a credit to San Francisco. San Francisco's defense is really good. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, with Armstead and, and Bosa, and, and they're, they're, there's a reason they're where they are, and a lot of that's defense. But is Dak Prescott your guy? You're paying him a lot of money, so you better figure it out, right? Yeah. But I just don't – I don't ever see them being – going any further than they have right now with the combination of players that they have. Dak makes too many mistakes. Zeke, it just isn't what he was. He's not. You know, he doesn't run the ball near as much anymore because he has Tony Pollard there to to share that load. But they rode him hard his first few years. And and there's a reason that he – doesn't run as well anymore. His yeah. body isn't Derrick Henry. No, you know he, no. he doesn't hold up the way that a Derrick Henry's does. So um, San Francisco pulls it out. No surprise there. I think we both picked San Francisco um, setting up like what we talked about an NFC Championship game. That's that's really intriguing. What what did you see in that game? Yeah, again, just uh, you know Tony Pollard gets hurt in the first half, so not having him is going to be detrimental. You're going to have to rely on Zeke Elliott, which missed multiple games this year. He rushed 22 times for 76 yards. That's that's not very good. Um, and then just to touch on Dak Prescott, in, in 12 games that he played in the regular season this year, he had 15 interceptions. So let's say he played an entire season. Will you extrapolate that? He would have had 21 picks this year. So – that's that's a lot of turnovers in in what again a recurring theme. If you win the turnover battle, odds are you win the game. If you lose the turnover battle, your odds are you're going to lose the game. So going forward with Dallas, you know, is Dak Prescott their answer? Do I think Dak Prescott's a good quarterback? Sure, he's had good seasons. He's thrown for a ton of yards. He's thrown for a ton of touchdowns. But can he clean up? The interceptions. Is he going to be a an Aaron Rodgers and throw four picks a year? No. No one in today's NFL, like we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, the amount of times you're throwing the ball, you're not going to throw 
four, five, six interceptions. You're going to throw 10 to 12 interceptions. But where do those 10 to 12 interceptions come in a game? You know, do they come in the first quarter where you can come back? Or do they come in the fourth quarter in overtime like they seem to do with Dak Prescott? When he's forced to make a play, when he's forced to win the game, I, I just don't know if he can. And they're receiving core. C.D. Lamb's a good receiver. Gallup's decent. Dalton Schultz is a pretty good tight end. But do they have a true number two? Do they have a number three they can throw to? Right now your number three is a tight end who's a good tight end, but he's no Travis Kelsey. Um, he's no Gronkowski or anything like that. So going forward, what can Dallas be? Are they going to be a 10-win team that gets beat in the wild card divisional round every year? Remains to see. What's what's Jarrah going to do? Yep. You know, the so, rumor the rumor's always been if Mike McCarthy, it's Super Bowl or bust, Mike McCarthy's out. Do I think Mike McCarthy's a good coach? Sure. Do I think that he's great? Maybe not. But they they have to have some sort of stability, and they have to have a quarterback that can win them and take them to the NFC Championship game, take them to the Super Bowl. And maybe Dak can, can work into that, maybe not. But they're America's team, so they're always going to be in the news. They're always going to be in the – on, on Sports Center and everything, they're always going to be talked about. So, uh, but yeah, very a, a pretty good defensive performance by the Cowboys, but a, just kind of a, a putrid offensive performance against the 49ers. So that leads us into our NFC AFC Championship preview, and we'll we'll pick these games later. But obviously, AFC Championship: Cincinnati, Kansas City. Um, you know, Joe Burrow's playing well. Again, we've talked about it a little bit already. The big story is how healthy is, is Patrick Mahomes. Can he be healthy enough to, you know, make the plays he needs to make and be the quarterback that he is? Because it's hard to change that, right? He's never yeah. going to want to sit there and sit in the pocket. And um, how, how much does that affect him? And then on the Bengals side of things, can they continue to be balanced and, run the football with Joe Mixon, who showed up against Buffalo, played a, had a really good game, and then get the ball to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And T. Higgins wasn't super involved against Buffalo and, and didn't need him to be. Right. But I think the Chiefs are going to come in with, we've got to slow down. We've got to slow down Jamar Chase. And so can T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst, can they continue to, to do some things well? I think we have two really good games here. I think that's going to, you know, I think it's setting up to be a really good weekend of AFC, yeah. NFC Championship football. And then the NFC, um, Eagles, 49ers, battle of really good offense versus a phenomenal defense. Um, can Joe Burrow, I'm sorry, can Jalen Hurts, um, can he get him there? Is he, you know, he's still young, he's still doesn't have a ton of experience, but, man, what he has on offense with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Miles Sanders, Boston, um, they're, they're really, really fun to watch. So can they – can he be have a clean game? Can he run the football when he needs to? And how can the 49ers 
slow him down, and can they do enough on offense? You know, Brock Purdy didn't play a phenomenal game the other day, but he's been efficient. They haven't lost with him. Can he get the ball to George Kittle? Can they get the ball in Debo's hand, Christian McCaffrey, and um, Brandon IU? Can they get the ball to those guys and their defense play well enough? I, I'm I'm intrigued big time by both of these games, and uh, I, I think no matter who wins, either of them we're setting up for a really fun Super Bowl for for sure. So. What do you what do you see coming this weekend? What what are you thinking? And then again, we'll we'll pick these in the big boys corner fix. You know, talking about the the NFC championship game first, 49ers and Eagles, you've got two really good defenses and two really good run games. Um, you talk about San Francisco's defense. They're number one uh, in total defense, number two in rushing defense. They're number one in team interceptions. They've picked off opposing quarterbacks twenty times this year. Uh, but then on the Eagles' side, they're number one in the passing defense. They're number one in sacks. We talked about that, 70 sacks, uh, 97 tackles for loss. Uh, they're number five uh, in team interceptions this year. So you've got two really good defenses going up against each other. And if you look at the offenses, um, the 49ers are extremely efficient. Uh, Purdy, obviously, is undefeated as a starter. Um, we've mentioned, you know, George Kittle had 95 yards uh, against the Cowboys, really good tight end, probably top three tight end in the league. Brandon Ayuk, uh, Debo Samuel's a weapon. Our guy, Jawan Jennings, makes plays when they get in the ball. Uh, how efficient can McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell be in this game? McCaffrey was dinged up, missed the majority of the fourth quarter. He'd come in on third downs against the Cowboys. Um, they kept saying Elijah Mitchell's banged up, but he kept running the ball. So how efficient can they be? And then, like you said, can the number one defense in the NFL, can they slow down um, A.J. Brown? Uh, Philadelphia has, if you're talking about an edge, Philadelphia has the edge at big play wide receiver. A.J. Brown had four yards short of 1,500 yards and 11 touchdowns this year. Uh, Miles Sanders had 1,300 yards rushing. Um, Jalen Hurts, 3,800 yards passing, almost 800 yards rushing. Takes care of the ball and is efficient. So a very intriguing matchup. It being in Philadelphia, I would give the Eagles, again, not to – we'll talk – we'll pick later on. You give the Eagles a slight edge. I think they're a a point and a half, maybe a two-point favorite right now. Um, How – the, the big question going into this game is how long can the Purdy train go? How long can he continue to play efficiently, continue to play clean? How long can he continue to win? Um, this is un, typically uncharted waters. There's been a, a handful of rookie quarterbacks take their team to the, champ, the conference championship game. Mark Sanchez, I think, was the first which seems really weird. He threw 20 picks that year, but they played in the AFC Championship game. Um, I believe Joe, Joe Flacco might be another one. There's, there's a handful in recent memory that have done it, um, but he's, he's one of a, a select number that have done that. And, it, and it's, a, it's a very it's a entertaining, good story to, to have a guy, Mr. Irrelevant, third-string quarterback, to come in and play this well. 
So I think it's it's setting up to be a very gritty, very good game. Could be a, a low scoring game, maybe not ten to nine or ten to seven, but could be a low scoring game that again, which team broken record wins the turnover battle. Neither one of these teams turn the ball over very much. But both defenses make a habit of getting turnovers. So very interesting to see. And then you look at the the AFC Championship game. On the flip side, you've got two teams that like to light up the scoreboard. Not that the Eagles and the Niners don't, but these two teams um, like to light up the scoreboard. You've got the Bengals who, for our lifetime, have been not very good. Uh, Marvin Lewis came in when they had Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle. They'd make the playoffs, but they hadn't won a playoff game since the 1990 season when you weren't born and I was two years old <laughs> when the Bengals had last won a playoff game. Uh, but for the second year in a row, they've won the division. They're in the AFC Championship game. Uh, then you've got the Chiefs, who have made a habit of being in the title game, fifth year in a row. Uh, two, like we said, very good quarterbacks. Mahomes, who's going to be your MVP. Burrow, who eventually sometime in his career you think is probably going to be an MVP, an all-pro type quarterback. You've got weapons all over the field on both sides with the Chiefs, with Kelsey, uh, Pacheco, Mahomes. <clears throat> on the, the Bengals side, we've already talked about Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Hayden Hurst, Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan, Joe Burrow throwing the ball. Um, so very two extremely good offenses and two opportunistic defenses that play well at times. Uh, the Bengals have played well defensively down the stretch. Uh, the Chiefs have guys that can rush the passer. They've got guys that can force turnovers. Um, but in this matchup, the last three times, the Bengals have won. Now, two of those have been in Cincinnati. Uh, but last year in the AFC Championship game in Kansas City, the Bengals won. Again, the big question, we've already touched on it, how effective can Mahomes be? You know, he's going to play. That's without a question. Um, but at what point in this game do we possibly see Chad Henney, who, I'm going to be honest, I didn't even know he was still in the league. Dude has made a career. You know, started for the Dolphins for a little while, but, you know, he's, I think we looked at the other day, he's been 13, 14, 15 years, made a really good career. So at, at what point does Mahomes re-aggravate that, or does he, and do we see Chad Henney? And if it comes down to it, if for whatever reason in the game Mahomes can't go, I don't feel super confident about Chad Henney beating the Bengals. So, uh, being an interesting game. Two very good games that could honestly go either way. And two very good games that set up whoever wins these two in the Super Bowl a very good game. So, um, it's not – in years past you would say – Whoever wins the AFCs win the Super Bowl. Whoever wins the NFCs win the Super Bowl. It's wide open. It's wide open. Sorry. Had a little uh, microphone difficulty little, there. But little mic drop. It's, it's wide open right now to see whichever, uh, whoever wins. And it, two very interesting games. So really looking forward to picking these two games. And obviously also really looking forward to watching these two games on Sunday evening. Well, that's it for our – NFL recap uh, next week. We'll know who's going to the Super Bowl. Excited to, to get into that. And um, 
excited to watch a little bit of championship football this weekend. Now we're going to move on over into our college basketball recap. Winstead, take it away. So we're going to dive into uh, little college basketball uh, now. We live in, in the uh, Knoxville metro area. Basketball is super exciting right now, and we'll touch on that in a second. But you've got a lot of teams in the top 25, and we're going to talk about the top 10 or so, look at the new rankings that came out yesterday. Um, we're going to take a look at that and talk about some, some big games from the past week, a lot of upsets. Um, if you look just in the last week, uh, number eight, Xavier, loses to DePaul. Number 14, TCU, loses to West Virginia. Um, number 15, UConn loses the Seton Hall. And then the big game, we talked about this. We were uh, enjoying some breakfast Friday morning that Gonzaga on thir last Thursday night loses to Loyola Marymount, 68-67, for the first time that Gonzaga's lost at home since 2018. So that's a big game. Hard to believe. Um, and then on Saturday, you've got number five UCLA loses to – to a number 11 Arizona team, but a top five team loses. And then number one Houston loses the Temple. Uh, number two Kansas loses to – gets thumped by TCU at home. That, we're going to talk about Kansas in a second. Kansas is on the skids right now. Bad, bad. And they are got a big game coming up this Saturday. Um, and then, of course, our Vols pull out a big 21-point win down in the Bayou against LSU 77-56. So, just – Let's think about this second. Just touch on this. Um, why do you think we're seeing so many top five, so many top ten teams get upset by sub five hundred teams in the conference right now? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a little bit of a different season than what we've seen in years past. You know, for a Gonzaga to lose like they did again, first time at home since two thousand eighteen, but also just you you, you see. You know, Houston losing to Temple. Yeah. And and Xavier loses to DePaul. And I think the one thing right now, it seems like in years past, there's been that one guy right. for some of those big teams. Right. Whether that's Gonzaga or, or Houston's even had a few. Mm -hmm. And right now it just doesn't seem like there is a, you know, surefire, this is the guy, he's the next. There's no Zion Williamson out right. there. There's no John ja Morant. Um, and so it's it's given a little parody, which I like. Yeah, I, I think it's, I it, it makes for an interesting um, conference play, tournaments, NCAA tournament. Um, you know, Tennessee, they, they moved up five spots to number four. Um, they've been consistently up there. Big week coming up, game tonight. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday, but game game tonight and then game Saturday against the uh, fake UT Longhorns. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just a, I think that no different than a Tennessee. Right now they're a top two team in the ACC, them and Alabama. Right. Tennessee just doesn't have a guy. Yeah. You know, they have a bunch of guys, mm -hmm. but they don't have the guy. Right. Um, you know, a little preview of our Power Five coming up talking about top basketball players at UT of all time, there's none of these guys on that list. No. And, and really not even close. Mm -hmm. But this team could be the deepest team of my lifetime. For sure. And and it's by far the best defensive team of my lifetime. That's There's no question. Um, so I think you're just seeing a lot more 
and I think that that's the effect of some of these fifth-year guys who got the extra year right. of COVID. And, um, you just don't see a bunch of that. But, you know, Purdue, they're number one. They got 39 votes in the AP. Alabama got 23. I, I was, certainly would not have been mad at the poll people for having Alabama up there. They've no. been really good. Purdue, you know, 19-1. Um, they're, they're also a good basketball team, but a little bit of an ugly loss for them. Houston obviously dropped one. Tennessee, they're 16-3 and three with their three losses being obviously Kentucky, Colorado, and Arizona. And so three good, pretty good teams. Kentucky's been playing better. Um, but I'm excited to jump in to, you know, look at some of the, the big games this week coming up and, and also make a few picks in our uh, Big Voice Corner segment here in just a little bit, bit our pick segment. Um, but a lot of parity right now in college basketball. You know, yeah. you see a TCU team beat up on Kansas and, and beat them down pretty good and then turn around and get beat by West Virginia. Right. You know, so it's it's a it's a crazy time right now, um, but makes for exciting college basketball. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, we've got some, some big games coming up um, this weekend. You talk about Tennessee's got a big game this Saturday against Texas. And for – Texas to be in the position ranked 10th right now that they are without their head coach gets fired in the middle of the season. And uh, obviously that wasn't uh, his firing wasn't performance-based. He was just not a good guy. So, uh, but for them to be sitting at number 10 is is big. Um, so that's a big game coming up. Kansas State dropped one last night to number 12 Iowa State, 80 to 76. So, obviously, you think they're going to drop a little bit. Um, Kansas has uh, a couple of big games coming up. This Saturday they play in the Big 12 SEC uh, showdown against Kentucky, at Kentucky. Kansas is on the skids, and, and Kentucky's not right now. So, and I think that's one of the games we're going to pick. Um, Alabama has Mississippi State and Oklahoma this week. Can they continue to roll? They're averaging 80-something points a game. Uh, can they continue to roll? Purdue sitting at number one, uh, plays Michigan this Saturday. But you look at the rest of their schedule right now, they don't have any future top 25 games. So you've got to figure they could probably stay at the top. Um, UCLA has a game against USC coming up. Arizona might as well just stay in the state of Washington for a few days. They play at Washington State and at Washington which um, that's a long trip for them. So some big games coming up, and like, like you said, we're going to pick some of them, but um, that's, that's the cool thing about college basketball and college sports as a whole, but especially this year with college basketball is this top ten ranking is extremely fluid, even at the top. Uh, you don't have a Georgia like you do in college football just camping out at the top. You don't have – like you had in the past a Duke or UNC or a Kentucky staying at number one for week after week after week. It's been a it's been a revolving door. You've had Houston up there, you've had Purdue up there, you've had other teams up there. Alabama's risen up. So very, very entertaining uh, season so far and should be a entertaining season continuing. And and right now, if you if you look again at the NCAA tournament, there's not a 
oh, this team is bound to win. You don't have that right now. And, and that makes for a, uh, an intriguing, entertaining season. So looking forward to continuing, looking forward to see uh, Tennessee this week play the other UT in what uh, one of our local sports guys around here, John Wilkerson, likes to call him brown. It's not really orange. So, um, and obviously we'll pick that game coming up. Well, that's it for our college basketball recap. It's a great time of year. I, I love when we get into this this point of the year and we start start talking about conference and conference tournament. And um, excited to get into March and uh, have a little March Madness. So uh, we'll be back in just a second with Around the Corner. back here with Around the Corner. We haven't had this segment in a few weeks, but I uh, wanted to, to come at you with just a little quick recap of some of our local high school basketball, and then we're going to bring you a really cool interview with assistant basketball coach at William Blount High School, Jordan Conley. Uh, longtime friend, former colleague, uh, grew up across the street from him, excited to have him on and talk a little bit about the uh, really, really good season that the, the Govs are having over at William Blount. But just talking about some of our other local high school basketball teams. Obviously, we're we're both teachers here at uh, ECCA, and uh, you know, since we last you know talked a little bit about it, our um, boys team has went and they they beat Heritage. You know, big yeah. win against a, a, another local county school here. They beat a Padilla. They they won last night against against Mount Pisgah. Um, seemed to really be making that turn, you know, and and. Um, figuring out what it's like to play as a team and, and under, you know, year one under Coach West and really uh, excited to see where this team can continue to grow and, you know, got a few more games. They're, they're at Lenore City uh, tomorrow on Thursday. That They'll be at home next week against um, Clayton Bradley on Monday, Wednesday, Greenback. Thursday they play Padilla, Thursday or Friday. Yeah. So busy week for them next week. But speaking of, excited about it. Hope Hopefully all of our listeners will tune in. Uh, myself and Nick will be on the broadcast of the Wednesday um, game against Greenback. We're taking over the, the play-by-play and color commentating for a game. Big game for, for us and for Greenback. You know, we wanted to, to get on there and, and um, you know, have, have a really good broadcast. So excited to – to do that and uh so everybody tune in nfhs um go on there if you don't have a team move on over and put eagleton that support yeah. supports our school and and um sends us a little bit of money to help support our broadcasting program and and uh if you already have a school and maybe it's maybe it's that team in red and black they don't need your money send no. it on over to us no rule so, blue um but you know speaking of maryville they uh played last night Lost to Bearden. They are 12-8 and eight on the season. Um, got a huge win against William Blunt. And, and that was a big game. You know, over 14, 1,500 people yeah. in attendance at that game. Um, they, you know, the big deal was Matthew Clemmer returns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, played three years at William Blunt. Um, really, really good basketball player. Great family. Brother plays here with um, um, for us at Eagleton. Um, but they went into that game. With, with all of that um, hype behind it, and Maryville pulled it out. What I saw in that game was 
Maryville's plan was to shut Caden Wendell down mm-hmm. as much as they can could and, and put Matthew on on Caden when they were out there on the court, and that allowed Grady Robertson to have a great game. Grady Grady played really well, um, but in the end, William Blunt had a few chances that they just fell short on, and, and Maryville was able to pull that one out, sixty four to fifty nine. Um, you know, they beat Heritage a few weeks before, lost a really close game to Hardin Valley, but um, Maryville ha- has made some improvements. I think they're a good team, and they've definitely got some good players. It's just going to be all about can they get it rolling at the right time. Um, Alcoa, 10-6 and six on the season, um, from what I can see. I think there's maybe a couple games missing in there. Uh, I do believe they won against Sevier County last night. I, I think I saw Javen Carter had 44 points. Wow. So, big game in high school. Yeah. That's a big game anywhere you're at. But 44 points, really, really good game there. Um, they're, they're, I believe they're undefeated in their district. So, um, and then, and then the other, you know, the other local team here in the county is uh, Heritage. And, and, you know, their girls are playing really, really well. I, I'm, probably one of the top teams in the district. Um, but their boys right now, uh, their record, and I'm trying to pull it up here. I had it, and for some reason I lost it. But Heritage's uh, boys team, Heritage's boys team right now, um, they're most, they, they played a couple weeks ago against Maryville. They lost 69-48. And they're 9-10 right now. Um, so, Gonna be be you know William Blunt sitting at twenty one and four, and we'll talk yeah. to we'll talk to Jordan here um, in a little bit and, and see how that's how the season's been for them. Got up to number one ranking. Um, anything you've seen locally? Anything you want to touch on? Yeah, talking on the on the girls' side, you've got here on the the east side of Blunt County, uh, Alcoa and Heritage. Uh, from from what and it's a little. Looking up high school basketball records is a little more difficult than high school football records. Uh, it's a very fluid. They'll play – a team might play a Monday game, Tuesday game, Wednesday. So, it, it's it's ever fluid. But from what I've seen and what I can find, uh, the Alcoa girls are 20-2. and two. That's obviously an extremely good record. Uh, and the Heritage girls are 18-2. and two. So, you've got two really good teams on, on this side of, the, of Blunt County um, in – in double A with Alcoa at twenty and two, and in four A with Heritage at eighteen and two, um, and in the other night William Blunt and Maryville, obviously the boys played and the girls played as well, uh, was an overtime win for Maryville, 34-33, or thirty four thirty three a one point win uh, for two teams that have have struggled a little bit. Um, Maryville is is ten and eleven. Or somewhere around there, William Blunt is ten and thirteen. Dropped a, another close game to to McMinn County last night. So the the William Blunt girls um, don't have quite the record they did last year, but they also lost six seniors from last year's team. So Coach Callenberg over there in Alnwick uh, has has done a, a fairly good job uh, with the inexperience that he has and is playing in tight games. Um, and then just to touch on the, the William Blunt boys, obviously you being a William Blunt alum and work there, I work there, good buddies, uh, Kevin Wendell and Jordan Conley, two really good coaches, um, and they are, they're stacked. 
I mean, they've got players, Caden Wendell being the, the big one, uh, obviously Coach Wendell's son. But for them to be 21-4 and four, um, in a region that is, is pretty competitive, uh, they're 21-4. and four. Hardin Valley's 19-5. and five. Oak Ridge is 17-3. and Carnes, 17-6. and six. Uh, Maryville is 14-8, and eight, but, but beat William Blunt in a big game. So uh, be interested going into district tournament to see what these teams can be. Can, can William Blunt uh, continue to, to play well and to go deep in the, in the region and go deep in the, in the sectionals? And, um, and then also interested to see, hey, what can Alco and Heritage girls do going forward? You know, obviously we know Alco is super talented state uh, state tournament team. Can, can Heritage continue down that streak as well? And then obviously also super excited uh, on a personal level for us next week to get the to get to call our boys game against Greenback. Um, it's a big opportunity. When I say us, I mean the school. Obviously, it's a fun opportunity for you and I. That's a big opportunity for our school to have Greenback come in here uh, to to Paul Gilly Gym and uh, to play a big midweek game. So. If you're looking for something to do next Wednesday night and you're in the, the Blunt County area, just come on over to Eagleton, come to Cinema Drive, and come watch a little Eagleton Royals basketball. No doubt. That, that, that'll be girls' game starting at 6, boys' game around 7.30. If you can't come by, tune into NFHS, pick Eagleton as your school. Uh, we, we appreciate the support. So now uh, we will bring you our interview with William Blunt assistant coach Jordan Conley. Excited to be joined here on the Big Boys Sports Corner for our Around the Corner segment by assistant coach at William Blount High School, longtime friend Jordan Conley. Jordan, thanks for coming on and giving us some of your time. Yeah, man, I really appreciate it. I enjoy listening in every chance I get to you guys. You guys are doing awesome. Well, first and foremost, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your coaching background, how long you've been doing that. So this would be – my fourth season as a basketball coach, um, but I've been teaching now for five years and you were around obviously when I started at William Blunt and uh, I started off just coaching track with you guys and then eventually in the cross country and then Wendell asked me to coach basketball and kind of just took over my passion of coaching. And uh, so this past year, I've just only been doing basketball. Um, so it's been a, it's been a really good time and I've learned so much, man, um, from coach Wendell. I do teach, though. I teach graphic design, digital arts, and design at the CTE building at William Blunt. So that's my that's my true passion, my first hobby that turned into a career and got me into teaching in the first place. That led me to having the schedule to be able to coach, which has been a blessing. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Coach Wendell, he's one of the good ones for sure. Um, you know, talking about this season, man, it's been a great season for you all so far, 21-4 and after your all's win last night against McMinn County. Um, you know, you all made it all the way up to number one in the class 4A um, ranking, sitting fourth right now. You know, I've I've been around William Blunt. I was there, started in 06, right when you graduated. That was my freshman year. Or you graduated 07, so I was there your senior year. was my freshman year. But been around there since then until I left in 20, you know, and uh, hadn't seen a team with, with this kind of success. Obviously, William Blunt's had a few teams that have that – have, made sub-state and done those things. But, you know, to get up to number one is obviously a big deal, a really good accomplishment. Tell us a little bit about 
you know, your season and, and how things have gone and progressed. Yeah, man. Well, it comes back to this group of seniors we've got. Uh, we're really talented coming up through middle school and into high school. And I was lucky enough to coach them their freshman year. And even after that year, man, like they went all summer, didn't lose a game as a freshman. Then they came into the regular season. I think we only lost maybe three or four the whole entire year. So you knew their age group, that was one of the better groups around. Um, and then it was all about just getting them and develop, developing them into varsity players. And also it helps when they all grow. Uh, you know how it is, man. You get a kid freshman year that's that might be six foot barely. And all of a sudden, by the time they're sophomores and juniors, they're six foot six. Uh, you know, or six foot five. We're really long and we've got a lot of great leadership. This group is so good uh, at being just just great teammates. Uh, that's what's led us to where we are now. We had an amazing summer, uh, a very, very, very good summer. Uh, a lot of team building stuff and got really close. These teams, they truly care about each other and they truly they love each other. And that's we've heard from a lot of coaches that play us uh, when they play the good version of us. Man, they're like, man, you, your guys just love each other. And that's that's really what's taking it the next level for this group. Um, the whole ranking thing, it wasn't it wasn't like that was ever a goal of ours. You know what I mean? Like that's just something that comes with success. Um, and so realistically, we were we we came into this season after the way last season ended as like underdogs, you know, because you know, not many people thought we would be that good. We should have been just as good last year, but we just didn't really put all the pieces together. But we kind of came in with a chip on our shoulder this year, and we we did that all summer long. We came into the season really hot. Actually, ended up being the school record for the best start at thirteen and zero. Um, and each game, we just took it one at a time, and we were the under we we were the underdog to ourselves the whole time. Now it's you know it's kind of flipped the script <laughs> with the number one ranking. You know, last week that's like all of a sudden we're getting everyone's best shot. Like we are getting everyone's perfect game. And so if we're even mediocre on any given night, you know, it's not going to be a good turnout for us. So we've got to continue to, you know, push ourselves, be good teammates and try to keep going, man. I don't, I don't want to just live on that. We got up to number one and that be it. You know, we want to, we want to go as deep as we can in the playoffs where this school has never been. That's yeah, the main. I mean, I, I, Watching it from the outside, you know, I, I've I've caught a few of your all's games, and obviously, you talked about the seniors, you know, Mayfield and and uh, Pride and uh, Riley Everett, a, a group that's been around and and been there, done that for you, and and then you you throw in you throw in Caden and you throw in uh, Grady, and and it's a really talented bunch, as talented and as deep as as William Blunt's been in a long time. Um, you know, it leads me to with the success that you all have had. Again, we've talked about the record, the ranking. What is the most challenging about this season? You know, a lot of times you don't realize it, um, but what what becomes the most challenging about you know this season so far? Uh, this is just me coming from an assistant coach, but the uh, the most challenging part has been. Uh, just getting them to understand that the harder we go in practice, and it, it's not really the harder we go, like physical wise, but um, if if we practice like the best team in the state, then we'll turn around and play like it. Uh, we we can't let them drop off. Like I, I'll be honest, like you know, the last couple practices weren't as high level as they should have been, and, and it kind of showed last Friday when we dropped a close one to our rival. Uh, we didn't we didn't have a good practice that week. 
Um, so I think if we can get them to realize that if we pour it all into practice, it, then it becomes easy in a game, you know, because if you think about it this way, you get to practice against the number – if you are the number one team in the state, you also get to practice against the number one team in the state. Uh, and that's our deeper guys too. And and if we can get to where we can do really good and compete against each other and push each other, even our second five, you know, can push our first five every single practice to keep getting better. So that way we're not settling where we're at and and, and just taking this record that we're on right now. We really want to finish strong and keep going further. So if I had to say anything was the most challenging, it really is just pushing the importance of our practices and how perfect we need to start being even when we're not playing games. And that's, yeah, I mean, I, that's what happens. You know, you, you talk to coaches who've been there, done that, had this, the success is, you know, none of that matters if you get to postseason and you can't finish it. And so finding mm-hmm. a way to motivate and, and, and push those kids every day in practice is, is certainly a, a challenge. It's a good challenge. You know, it's better than, you know, have, having it the other way where, you're scrapping and clawing, hoping you're going to be able to, to you know, make a, a district tournament or get out of district in a region or whatnot. But, um, you know, what outside of just this season at William Blunt, what's what's most challenging for you about coaching basketball in 2023 in this day and age? You know, it's obviously it's different than when you played. It's different than when I played. What what becomes the challenge of, you know, coaching these young men in this generation and and you know not only what's challenging about it, what's, what's most rewarding for you? Um, challenging. I would say the most challenging part is uh, getting kids that have, you know, grown up playing against each other a little bit. Uh, Cause we do have multiple feeder schools. We've got two multiple, uh, two feeder middle schools. Um, so they kind of grow up playing against each other. If you can get them early, in some type of AAU program where, you know, where they're around us coaches early, that helps out a lot. But it's challenging when, you know, you get a group of six or seven guys together that's not used to playing together. And then now you've got to teach them how our style of basketball is. And, you know, and it's kind of hard because it, it, all, it, all, it all falls on talent too. But even if you don't have the amount of talent that like our senior group and our junior group had, um, you still got to find a way to get them to buy into what we're doing uh, within our program. So challenging is definitely molding the younger guys and trying to get them to follow up so that way there's no fall off because uh, you love these successful seasons like we're having right now. And we hope to have another one next year and we hope to have another one the year after that. So really that's the most challenging in just all of basketball, especially high school, is getting the younger kids to buy in and understand that this senior class went through this, you know, bought in early. They bought in when they were freshmen to what we're trying to do here in our program. So they're going to have to do the same thing to follow their steps. Um, the easiest part, especially right now, is just when you do have a special group like we do, is it's it's easy to talk ball. It's easy to call a play, and they just know it. You know, they're so they're so smart. Their their basketball IQ as a whole entire group is really high. So, you know, if Coach Wendell draws up something on the fly in the huddle, they run it, and it's really easy. Um, whereas there's some groups, you know, if you have a, if you have a tough group with low basketball IQ, man, you draw something up that in your head it works with this group, and then you do it with another group, and it doesn't work whatsoever, and everybody's lost, man. That's 
that's hard. But for this for this varsity group, man, right now, I'll say that's probably the easiest part about this group is we don't have to worry about them loving each other and knowing what they're doing. No doubt. Um, so you all have, if I if I looked correctly today, five games, regular season games left, Hardin Valley. Um, you play Maryville again. You've got to play Bearden, uh, Powell, yeah. and I think there was one more in there. I don't remember who the other one was. We are, yeah, we're at Hardin Valley. We home against Bearden at Maryville, home against Farragut, and then senior night is home against Farragut. Powell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Farragut, the big, big, uh, y'all are having the uh, retirement of, of Micah Ballard's jersey and, and, yeah. uh, Having a having a bunch of the old players out that'll be that'll be nice uh, a, a good night for that and so what's the outlook look like for you all the rest of the season obviously Hardin Valley you know big improvement upon last year um, got you all at home um, and then you know you look at Maryville tight tight contest obviously big rivalry game fourteen fifteen hundred people there watching that one at, at uh, over at Marvinell Boring, so y'all y'all will be heading over there. What what do you all you know? Obviously, your your goal is always to be five and zero, oh and but mm-hmm. what uh, you know what's the outlook look like? Tough games and and where you all kind of will fall when it comes to region, district, those things. Yeah, our plan is to uh, get a little revenge on those two losses at home because we we really do feel like we shouldn't have lost either one of those. Um, we we played not up to our standard. You know, some people watch those and like, man, y'all played good. You, you know, We didn't play up to our standard. And the people that say we played good those games might not have seen any other games because right. those were high-level games that people wanted to see. Um, last night, at, against that's the way we want to play basketball, and, and it showed on the floor. We had 26 assists compared – or something, you know, it's 25, 26 assists compared to – we only had six assists against Maryville. That's not, that's not how we play. Um, so the outlook, to be honest, man, we're sitting at four and two. It's a three-way tie, us, Farragut, and Hardin Valley. Our goal is to be either one or two in the district uh, going into the tournament. That way you're guaranteed automatic bid in the region just to go ahead and get – you don't want to be in the four or five slot to play each other because you're – it's it's loser goes home. So somebody that's, – that's, that's going to be a crazy game is that four or five game in the district tournament. Somebody – a really good team is going to be going home early. And so we would like to not even have to worry about that. Um, the good news is they all play each other too. So, you know, it, it's not like we just have, are the only team that has to play. So I think if we can just take care, um, we would love to win all four of our district games, but at least three of them, you know, we, we are sitting pretty in a good chance to be in a one-two spot into the district tournament and solidify our region spot. Um, tough ones. We do travel to Hardin Valley and Maryville, but it's weird. We've, all, almost all of our tough games this year have been on the road, and we've done a really good job um, at Fulton, uh, at McMahon. We did a really good job, um, and then of course we host Bearden and Farragut. We would love to sweep them. We did. We beat Bearden for the first time in 20 years earlier this year, so we would love to go ahead and just add another to that timeline and start a new streak uh, against Bearden and having two in a row. No doubt. Yeah. Um, well, I'll end with this. Um, what, what is one thing you, you would want people to know about William Blunt basketball, how you all represent yourselves, carry yourselves, play the game? What, what's the what's the one thing that you all would like to be described by other coaches, fans? Um, what, what, what does that look like? Um, right now, man, we're just trying to push that we, we want to play physical. Uh, we want to play with heart and passion and we want to play for each other. 
And and so we try and try and try to get our players to to walk that way. Um, and and even in the classroom, you know, just to be humble about where we're at and where we where we're going, and and continue to focus on everything, even off the court, and focus on being just a good student. Uh, make sure grades are are really good, and and we just kind of push all of that that well around student athlete. So that way, no matter where they what they want to do at the next level, whether it's basketball or a career, even um, that they're well prepared for it, um, that they're 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 very good at what they do, and they're also very respectful. That's well, really all I'll say about it. Yeah, I, I certainly think that uh, with, with with Wendell and you, you know, and, and kind of taking care of things that that you all will continue to do that. We're cheering for you here on the Big Boy Sports Corner for sure. Want to see some success for, for you guys. And um, not just because, hey, I'm, I'm a William Blunt alum. People on here know that about me. But also, you know, you, you guys are good friends and uh, want nothing but success. But, you know, Jordan, I appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we'll, we'll have you on another time. Maybe we can talk some NASCAR next time. I know in a different life you were a big NASCAR guy. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking plenty of NASCAR. But I appreciate you coming on and being on our uh, Around the Corner segment. Yeah, man, I'm really proud of you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. You are doing awesome, like I said. I love to listen in, and I appreciate you guys supporting and having us on. And hopefully we can uh, do it again and talk about even more success, you know. That'd be Absolutely. Awesome. Y'all go make a state tournament. You can uh, for sure be ready to come on here. Love it. So, All right. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. See you, man. And that is our interview with Jordan Conley. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. That was our interview with William Blunt assistant coach Jordan Conley. Uh, we appreciate him jumping on and uh, giving us some of his time. Excited to see where the season ends up for them and uh, the rest of our local teams. But that's it for Around the Corner this week. Uh, be on the lookout for some more interviews. We're always trying to line up and, um, you know, make sure it fits the season. Obviously, we'll, we'll try to have some baseball coaches on here soon when baseball gets rolling and uh, maybe some track guys. I'm a, I'm a former uh, head track coach and, and uh, got some buddies that, that might be willing to jump on with us. So that's it for Around the Corner. Now we're going to move into the Power Five. This week's Power 5 segment is brought to you by NC's Campers. Spring break will be here before you know it, and if you need a camper for getaway, the link will be posted on our Facebook and Twitter pages. The camper they have available sleeps four and is perfect for a small family or for a guy's trip to the races. Contact Joe at area code 419-575-2264 and make sure you tell him you heard about it on the Big Boy Sports Corner. Thanks to NC's Campers for sponsoring this week's Power Five. So this week on the Power Five, we're going to pick our top five UT men's basketball players of all time. We've got a big matchup coming this week against Texas, so we thought this would be a good category for this week. So this is something we talked about this morning on Hall Duty for a, a program that's not traditionally looked at as a basketball school. It's not a Kentucky, it's not a UNC, it's not a Villanova, Gonzaga, or, or Duke, but Man, Tennessee's had some players, some player players. Uh, so this was honestly kind of a hard, um, a hard list to come up with, not for lack of names, but for just picking five. Uh, so we'll let you go first, Randall. Who would your top five UT basketball players of all time be? Well, this one was hard. 
you know, I came up with this when I was I was kind of making our show sheet the other day, and I didn't think it was going to be as hard as it was, <laughs> but it, it was a difficult one um, just because the names, some of the names you have to leave off the list, right? Um, I looked at this purely based on their time at Tennessee. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's easy to say you could look at, you know, obviously the probably most successful basketball player Tennessee's ever had is Bernard King for what he did in the right. NBA and but also his time at UT. But I wanted to look specifically at their time at UT and hard to it's it's a tough list, but honorable mention Chris Lofton. Really hard for me to leave yeah. Chris Lofton <laughs> off this list. Yeah. We talked about it earlier. He is the leading three point shooter in SEC history, not just U T history, right. but SEC history. Um but he just missed out um, on my top five. So, number five, Allen Houston. Allen Houston, when he, you know, was just an unbelievable scoring machine um, at Tennessee, obviously had a, had a good career in the NBA as well with the Knicks. And, um, but he was – what he did at, at UT from a scoring standpoint, um, unbelievable. Number four, and this was – this is where the list got really hard for me – Ernie Grunfeld, um, you know, obviously the Bernie and Ernie show, what was was, you know, in the seventies for for UT was was really really good time for UT basketball. Grunfeld, another one, had a really good career in the NBA, um, two time All American, I think, um, SEC Player of the Year one year. Um, he's number four. Dell Ellis, number three, uh, again, two time SEC Player of the Year, um, All American. Really good at UT. Number two, Grant Williams. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a lot of people may not agree with that, but, man, the guy won two SEC Players of the Year. Um, he was the catalyst of that team with what they did with Admiral Schofield and Jordan Bone and Bowden and those yeah. guys. And, you know, people are going to say, well, oh, well, they, they didn't get past the Sweet 16 or, you know, they weren't consistently – how is he number two? Well, look, Tennessee's only gotten to one Elite Eight. You right. know, in their history, so it's not like we have a big history of rolling out Final Fours here. So, right. um, and number one, Bernard King. You mm -hmm. know, obviously, just what he did at UT, three-time SEC Player of the Year. Yeah, and then his career in the NBA. I think he scored something like twenty-four thousand points in the yeah. NBA. I mean, he, he's uh, he's number one on my list. Who you got? Number five, I've got Grant Williams. Um, and when we talked about this, I said, hey, we need to take recency bias out of it because in the past 10 or so years, 10, 15 years, Tennessee basketball has been pretty good. Uh, but they've been really good at other times too. So I took Grant Williams, two-time SEC Player of the Year and All-American at number five. Uh, number four, I've got Chris Lofton. They just retired his number the other week against Kentucky. Uh, Three-time All-SEC. SEC Player of the Year, most threes in SEC history, not just Tennessee. Uh, number three, I've got Dale Ellis, two-time SEC Player of the Year, was an All-American, and then goes in NBA and plays for 17 years. So obviously a really good player. Uh, number two, I've got Allen Houston, all-time leading scorer in Tennessee history, also three-time All-SEC, and then plays 12 years in the NBA. And my number one, I cheated a little bit. I combined two, uh, the Ernie and Bernie Show. Uh, put Tennessee basketball on the map in the 70s with Ray Mears. And Ray Mears, we could talk about him, did a lot for Tennessee basketball, a lot of traditions that uh, continue today for Tennessee basketball and football he started. Uh, but Ernie Grunfeld, SEC Player of the Year, All-American, 
Uh, and then Bernard King, three-time SEC Player of the Year, also All-American, and then goes to the NBA and averages 22.5 points a game. We, we think about in our, in recency, the PB&J, you know, uh, Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams, they were the original PB&J. Yeah. They were the Ernie and Bernie show. So my number one, cheating a little bit, Ernie Grunfeld and Bernard King. That's it for the Power Five this week. And we're going to move over to our big boys' corner picks. Our big boys' corner picks is brought to you by Tennessee Bonding Company. If you find yourself in a pickle and need a bonding company, Tennessee Bonding Company is the bonding company for you. Call Tennessee Bonding to reunite you and your loved ones serving Blunt and Loudoun counties and all other surrounding counties. Make sure you ask for Courtney or Nate, and their phone number is 865-255-3361. This week on the Big Boys Corner Picks, we've talked about most of these teams, most of these games, and we're going to roll through them. Um, and we'll, we'll obviously expound on how these games turned out next week a little bit, um, You know, obviously especially the NFC-AFC Championship game. But let's jump right in. Cincinnati, Kansas City, who you got? I've got the Bengals. Uh, can, we're going to continue to ride the Cincinnati wave. Um, the question marks with Mahomes right now leads me to wonder how effective Kansas City can be offensively, so I'll take Cincinnati to go to the Super Bowl. Yep, give me the Bengals too. I, I think that with a healthy Mahomes, I would have had to think about this one a whole lot more, but I just think that, that his ankle injury is going to be tough. Uh, San Francisco, Philadelphia, who you got? Man, this one's tough. I went back and forth thinking about this, but I'm going to give the edge – to the Eagles playing uh, in Philadelphia uh, seems to be a big, more explosive offensive team. And, man, eventually, and I think Brock Purdy's a good quarterback and could have a good NFL career, but eventually that that's going to run out. Guy can't go 16-0 and as the starter to start out. So I'm going to take the Eagles. Give me the 49ers defense. Too, too, uh, too much to handle. I think Bosa's going to have a big game. Give me the 49ers. Xavier UConn in college basketball. This is a, a, a matchup of two top 20 teams. I'm picking UConn in this one. Xavier loses to DePaul. Um, they're 16 and 4. UConn 16 and 5. Um, give me the Huskies. I'm going to take uh, the Musketeers of Xavier, uh, family from the Cincinnati area. Xavier's in downtown Cincinnati. I like the name Xavier, <laughs> to be honest, but uh, could be a, a very intriguing matchup. Like you said, two top 25 teams in the conference, but I'll take Xavier. Purdue, Michigan, Boilermakers versus the Wolverines. Uh, number one team in the country. I think they roll. Give me the Boilermakers. Yep, Purdue. Kansas and Kentucky. Jayhawks versus the Wildcats at Rupp Arena. Um, Kentucky playing well. Kansas not so well. Give me the Wildcats. Yeah, if you'd asked me this, if this game was about four weeks ago, I would have said Kansas in a route. Kansas is seemingly falling apart right now. Kentucky's uh, has seemed to figure things out. I'll take the Wildcats. You got the Crimson Tide and the Sooners uh, playing in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Uh, give me the number two team in the country. I think Bama rolls. Yeah. Uh, give me Alabama as well. When you just first look at this, you see Alabama versus Oklahoma, you think, oh, this is in the Sugar Bowl, or oh, this is, you know, whatever big-time bowl game. But, no, this is college basketball. Uh, it's weird for Alabama to be ranked this high and us to be talking about them, but I'll take Alabama. And then our final game, the one that's uh, most dear to our hearts, the University of Tennessee Volunteers versus the fake UT Texas Longhorns. Um, 
Good old Rocky Top. Ooh. Give me the balls. Here's a reminder, a historical reminder on the big boy sports corner, that if it wasn't for Tennessee, Texas would still be Tejas. Give me the Vols. Vols roll. That's it for the big boys corner pick this week. Again, brought to you by Tennessee Bonding Company. Uh, thanks, thanks to them for sponsoring our corner pick segment every week. Um, and look forward to doing it again next week. Thanks for joining this week on the Big Boy Sports Corner. Next week, we'll have our much-anticipated 2023 NASCAR Let's go, let's go. Big Bush Clash coming up next week. So make sure you turn in or tune in. Uh, Remember to follow us on social media, like and share our posts. And until next time, y'all be good. (laughs) 